In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. There's an old story, it's the sort of story you doubt ever really happened, but it's still fun to tell. Someone sends a letter congratulating a bride on her wedding, and at the end puts the scriptural citation, 1 John 4.18. The verse isn't printed out, but it refers, of course, to the first epistle of St. John, and if you look that up at chapter 4, verse 18, here's what you find. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear. The writer of the card to this bride, however, uh, made the common mistake of leaving off the one in front of the John. So instead of referring to the first epistle of John, it was a reference to the gospel. And if you look up John the gospel, chapter 4, verse 18, you have the words that I read just a couple of minutes ago. Thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. (laughs) These words Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well, they were true words, and hearing them was the pivotal event in her coming to faith. The scene begins with a weary Jesus. It's noon, he's sitting down by a well, he's alone. The disciples have gone off into the village to buy food. A woman comes and begins to draw water. Jesus asks her for a drink. She thinks the request remarkable. Jesus replies that if she knew him, she would have asked for some very special water. She challenges his standing to produce special water. Art thou greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well? Of course he is, but the reader knows that. She doesn't. Jesus explains the effects of the water he has to give, and so she does ask. The story is like a little film, and it's just barely begun, and already the woman has some faith, some partial trust in Jesus. Never before had she set eyes on him, but now she understands he has a great gift, and she asks for it. The story shows that just to speak to Jesus, even without understanding what we're asking for, it's already an act of faith. What is the gift that Jesus offers? It's water, but it's not literally water. Like water, it will quench a thirst. But Jesus says, the water that I shall give shall be in a person a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus' water becomes a continuing source of water. It's in you and it never runs out. It changes you from the inside. This water wells up, Jesus says, into everlasting life. We understand this by analogy. In ordinary life, as it were, if You don't drink water, you will die. There's a very close connection between drinking water and going on living. People who live in a desert really know this. So Jesus, this woman, survival requires unceasing care, 
for the provision of water. They need wells. They need to know where the wells are. They need water to be in the wells. They need storage containers. And it's something that has to be an object of care continually. Water, life. As for the body, so for the spirit. What Jesus offers is essential to the life of a whole human being. You'll recall that Jesus told Nicodemus in the preceding chapter that he needed to be born of the Spirit. Here he's saying the same thing to the Samaritan woman. She too needs to be born of the Spirit. The water Jesus has will give her such birth so that she may live not only in physical life but in eternal life. In other words, Jesus offers to quench a thirst that's spiritual, to satisfy the longings of her soul, to bring her to where she can see, which is to say, enter eternal life. Now, I like to think that when she actually asked for this water, it made Jesus happy in a way. Something good was going on in her soul. And yet, as we instantly see, she doesn't really get it. You heard her words. Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She wants Jesus to give her water that will keep her from having to come back to this well. She, doesn't, she wants the kind of water that will save her from the necessity of work. She thinks that if she has Jesus' water, she won't have to come to the well anymore. She's thinking on the level of the flesh, not on the level of the spirit. But we must not be too hard on her. The remarkable aspect of this story is that Jesus was not too hard. In this whole passage, Jesus is never too hard nor too soft, but just right. And she comes, thanks to all that, to fuller faith. And more, uh, she becomes the reason that many in her village uh, come to faith in Jesus. So how does Jesus do this? Not by saying, foolish woman, stupid person, I'm not talking about well water. He treats her with love. At the same time, he does not let her off the hook. She has done wrongful deeds, and the drama hangs on whether she will turn away from them and turn toward Jesus. So here's how Jesus does it. He says, go call thy husband and come hither. She parlays a response, I have no husband. Jesus, thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that thou saidst truly. It's as if Jesus has x-ray eyes for the soul. He knows an uncomfortable lot about her. How is she going to respond? She buys a bit of time with a detour to a religious dispute. When things get a little bit too personal, let's go off and talk theology. <laughs> you Jews, she says to Jesus, 
claim that Jerusalem is the place to worship God, but our, our fathers worshiped right here, she says, right on this mountain. Jesus answers her implied question by showing in a new way that he has authority as a teacher. Woman, he says, believe me, the hour cometh when ye, that's the plural, text is y'all, shall neither on this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Now, what's remarkable is that this short speech of Jesus is thoroughly Trinitarian. It talks about worshiping the Father. It's a new word. We haven't had that word yet in today's reading. Those will worship the Father. She had not named the object of worship thus. She had talked about worshiping God. Jesus says, the Father. No one can worship the Father who does not know the Son and who does not have the Spirit. Jesus, who is the Son, here present in the flesh, makes it possible for people to have the Spirit. That water inside them that wells up to eternal life, that water is the Spirit. The speech of Jesus reveals Jesus for who he is. Now, the Samaritan woman may not have gotten all that. I don't think anyone gets it all on first reading or first hearing. It's wonderfully deep theology, and as I say, Trinitarian, etc. But she does grasp one thing, that Jesus is saying that a great change is coming in the relationship of people with God. Coming and happening now. The hour is coming and now is. She responds with clarity of faith. I know the Messiah is coming, she says, and he's called Christ. And when he comes, everything will be clear. To which Jesus says dramatically, I, who am speaking to you, am he. Jesus precipitates a conversation, deals lovingly yet firmly, lets her know he knows everything about her, especially even the bad parts, offers her the Holy Spirit to dwell inside her, springing up to eternal life, reveals to her that the moment is at hand for a great change to occur in the relationship of God and her, her people, his people, all people, and she gets it. She goes and tells the village. They come out to see Jesus themselves. They all come to believe. I love these great long stories in John's gospel. Nicodemus coming at night, the woman at the well, the man born blind, and Lazarus, whom Jesus summons back to life from the grave. They are, each of them, 
and we get one each week this year in Lent. They're little dramas, little films, you know, short films made for us to go and see in a kind of film festival. They are build-ups for that great film that comes at the climax of the weekend, the one where a man starts out on a donkey and goes through being praised and being condemned, a loving meal and a betrayal, a mock trial, a wicked execution. You know the film, don't you? Have you seen it? It's the one that ends with an empty tomb. Today's story goes back 500,000 years before that one. The world is in bad shape. Government is a mess. The holy community has lost its way. They are in exile. God pronounces the cure. He says their hearts are stony. That's the problem. And he's going to give them hearts of flesh. That's the picture, that's the literal meaning. But by a heart of flesh, God does not mean uh, valves and a pulse and a throb. God means the Holy Spirit. That's what he's going to give. That's the cure. The cure is that God is going to put his Holy Spirit inside people. You find that in Ezekiel. Jeremiah, you know, 500,000 years before this other story, before the story of Jesus himself. Everything in today's little film, however, is about what Ezekiel and Jeremiah saw and said. And it's about what they prophesied happening. Today, Jesus offers to put inside this holy woman the Holy Spirit. He can do that because he is the Christ she has heard about. He turns her, as it were, from a Samaritan woman into a holy woman. She is the, he is the Christ she has heard about, and he has come from the Father. How will he do it? That's what the great big film is about the one that has the cross in it and the empty tomb. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.